Welcome to episode 48 of This Week in Legal Blogging, presented by LexBlog. I'm your host, Bob Ambrogi, and LexBlog is home to the world's largest community of legal bloggers. It is the industry-leading provider of professional blogs and turnkey digital publishing solutions to lawyers and the world's largest law firms for more than 17 years. This is Bob Ambrosi again, editor at Law Sites Blog and uh, host of the podcast Law Next. And uh, today on this podcast, on this week in legal blogging, I am very pleased to have as my guest Fiona Ong, partner in the management side employment law firm Shaw Rosenthal, based out of Baltimore, Maryland, and editor of that firm's blog, The Labor and Employment Report, a workplace blog providing information and insights for employers. Fiona, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate it, and it's incredibly flattering to be asked. So thank you. Well, we're uh, glad you're flattered, uh, and we're very (laughs) happy to have you here. So uh, just to kick things off, uh, let me just ask, how's everything with you? How how has the the past 18 months been for you? Are you still working from home? You're back in the office? What's happening? Exhausting, right? It has been the craziest year. I mean, the amount of work that we've had coming out of this pandemic has been just incredible. Starting back in March, when things were starting to close down, everything has a workplace impact, everything. And there have been all these new laws and orders. And every single time something comes out, you know, I've spent hours and hours reading Families First Coronavirus Response Act or the American Recovery um, Plan and, and trying to figure out what it means and put it together in some sort of fashion that we can explain to our clients and, well, frankly, to my colleagues so that we can understand what impact it has on our many, many clients. And it's just been a a real sprint (laughs) over a past 18 months, which really is more of a marathon, but a sprint, you know, uh, yeah. nonetheless. So yeah. it, it's been crazy. Yeah. I've often wondered what it's been like for what what it was like for employment lawyers in those early days, like you said, right around March, 2020. I mean, were you were your phones ringing off the hook or was it just crickets and nobody was calling because they didn't know what was going on? No, it was, everybody was ringing our yeah. phones off the hook. I mean, they all needed help on what yeah. do these orders mean? What does this law mean? What, you know, what do we do now? What do we do with our employees? How do we pick which employees to send home? Who can come to work? Who can't come to work? I mean, all of these questions were just on the top of everyone's minds. And so it was one of those times where there was so much uncertainty. And we were sitting here looking at these laws and orders and trying to figure out what they meant, because there was a lot of uncertainty and vagueness in the language of these, um, Mm -hmm. you know, regulations, laws, orders, whatever. And so trying to piece it all together and, and explain to other people, you know, this is going to be the impact on you and your employees was, was a lot. And so I, I will say that the language was so vague that there were times that I actually picked up the phone and called, you know, the agency and said, what on earth did you mean by this? And I actually had a very funny experience after the Families First Coronavirus Response Act came out because that was a piece of work. The the act itself was hundreds and hundreds of pages and the one piece of it that applied to employers, well, there were actually many pieces that applied to employers, but trying to put that all together and it had been jammed through so quickly and there were questions as to how these pieces work together and then the regulations came out and they actually didn't even make sense in some parts because they had written them and then rewritten parts of them but didn't make it all consistent. and. 
at one point I just picked up the phone and I called the DOL, just cold called them, their 1-800 number and went through the whole phone tree. And I ended up with some random person answering the phone in the Baltimore office. And, and I asked my question and he said, well, this is what I think. And I said, well, that's wonderful, but will your colleagues in other offices agree? And he said, well, I hope so. And I said, me too, but you know, how will I know that? And he said, well, you can give them my name. And I said, okay, that's great. And it turns out that I was speaking with a district director who had phone duty in the middle of the pandemic because everybody else was home. So um, yeah, I mean, it was, it ended up being a great connection because every single time I had questions after that, I now had a direct line to the district director who has much more access to the national DOL than I do. So that was, that was pretty incredible, but yeah, it was just an interesting time of trying to figure out, you know, what does all this mean and how can we help our clients um, as they try and struggle through this pandemic? Yeah. That, that brings flashbacks. Way back when I was in law school, I worked in the Solicitor of Labor's office in the Boston office, mm-hmm. and we all had to do uh, manning the phone duty. Oh. And, and right up to the solicitor himself, the, the regional solicitor would oh. take due duty taking the phone calls that used to come <laughs> in. That was before there was email or anything else. Right, so right. Just a steady stream of calls, and, and we would all share duty uh, taking those calls. Oh, my gosh. Uh, yeah. So uh, tell me a little bit about, uh, again, before we get to your blog, tell me a little bit about uh, your firm and your practice within the firm and what do you do? Well, thank you. As you mentioned, our firm does labor and employment law. We represent employers only. And we have the one office that you mentioned in Baltimore, Maryland, 18 attorneys. So we're small. However, we represent clients all across the United States, including some Fortune 500 companies. And, um, you know, our, our firm is really well regarded. We have all those usual honors and recognition, both for the firm and for our attorneys. So we consider our competitors to be those big firms, those big national firms. I like to think that we're small, but we're mighty. But the issue really becomes how do we make ourselves known to those clients outside mm-hmm. of you know the immediate Baltimore area? And so one of the things that we decided that we had to do in order to raise our profile was to focus on accessing those clients, right? So the HR folks yeah. and the in-house counsel at these companies. And so we do it by doing a lot of speaking, but we also do a lot of non-legal writing. And we've deliberately chosen avenues where we think it gives us access to those folks. One of the things we do is we author um, the Maryland HR manual for the American Chamber of Commerce publishers. We also write for the. Did I say that you're your counsel to the Chamber of Commerce? Or did I see that in your bio? Um, well, that's the Maryland Chamber of Commerce. Yes, I'm general counsel yeah, okay. for them, yeah. um, and that's yeah. actually a really great position because it it gives me yeah. exposure to what is happening at the Maryland General Assembly at all times. So I know every piece of legislation on the labor and employment side that's coming through there, and really it's been exciting because in my role as as chair of the Labor and Employment Committee for the Chamber, we've been able to impact the legislation in Maryland and either, you know, promote legislation that would be helpful for employers, help modify legislation that was going to be really harmful for employers, and fight legislation mm-hmm. that um, really is just unfortunate, well-meaning, but uh, often unfortunate yeah. for employers. So that's been a great experience for me. Some of the other legal writing, though, that we do that I was talking about, so Chambers USA or Chambers and Partners actually has some global and regional employment guides that we contribute to. The Legal 500 asks us to be their U.S. expert. Uh, Lexology asks us to be their Maryland expert. So we really want to position Uh ourselves as being Maryland experts and U.S. experts. And so we've chosen to do this through our writing. We also do a firm monthly e-newsletter. Like many firms do, we do breaking news alerts. And of course, we do the blog. So we, we use all of these techniques to try and, you know, just raise our presence out there in the community. 
uh, yeah. on the internet. Yeah, you're doing a lot of that yourself I directly. And you, besides the blog, you do a lot of writing. Yes. I, and I was, again, looking at your, just looking at your website and your profile and saw like a recent announcement that you were recognized by Lexology <laughs> as its legal influencer yes. for the U.S. Uh, I don't even know what that means. but I know, sure my kids good. think it is hysterical that I am an influencer, right? <laughs> I, I think it's pretty hysterical too. You know, it's interesting because our firm has taken the position, you know, this type of writing, there's a real different skill set involved in this kind of non-legal writing than your normal legal yeah. writing, the briefs and the, the memos yeah. and, and the motions. And so not everyone at my firm has the interest or the knack for this kind of non-legal writing. It's really, it's much more yeah. informal, right? It, I, I think of it as being yeah. more of a conversation than a lecture. So what we decided uh, as a firm was that I should take on the primary responsibility of this non-legal writing with the support and, and you know, assistance of my partners or, and colleagues as necessary or as I request. And so, um, yeah. yes, as you see, I am really the one doing most of the writing, but not all of it. With regard to the blog, what happens there is, yes, I write about 75% of it, but there are yeah. different ways for my colleagues to be involved. So sometimes... Yeah. There are a bunch of authors yeah. listed there. I, I don't know how often they all Some write. Some more than but... others. Yeah, there's, yeah, there are a few that, yeah. you know, I, I'm not sure that they've ever written anything, but <laughs> there are a few others that, that do pop up more often. And so the way it comes up is that, you know, maybe one of the partners will say to me, gosh, you know, I just saw this crazy story. I want to write a blog on it. And I'll say fabulous. So for example, Lindsay White came in one day and she was so annoyed because she had just read this article about how employers are asking applicants about their pandemic passion projects. And she thought that was so incredibly offensive because so many people during this pandemic are struggling to make ends meet. And that question yeah. just assumes that people have the time and the luxury to focus on these, you right. know, projects, right? And so she right. wanted to write a blog about how offensive she found that question. And, you know, for her personally, it's not the same thing as making ends meet, but she was still struggling because she was juggling a full-time practice with three small children who needed to be remote schooled and a husband who was also yeah. working full-time. And so, you know, according to yeah. Lindsay, her passion pandemic project was keeping her children alive and not getting divorced. <laughs> so <laughs> I thought that was yeah. awesome. Yeah. It was a really good blog. Yeah. Yeah. It got a lot of attention. Yeah. And and so that was a, not technically a labor and employment, not strictly a labor and employment, not a labor well, law not, post necessarily. Right, but, but it was a, you know, employers don't ask this question, which I think was a yeah, really right. good piece of advice. How was, how was that post received? I'm curious. Oh my gosh. It, it got a lot of hits. Uh, people really yeah. enjoyed reading that blog. I think it's Walter Skluwer. They do a daily labor and employment report, you know, a newsletter. And each week they have a section they call noteworthy blogs and so um, Lindsay's blog, of course, made that list that week because it was just such an interesting you know, take on something that's happening right yeah. now. Right. Um, yeah. yeah. So another way that um, people at my firm will end up writing for the blog is that somebody will circulate a summary of an agency decision or a memo or regulations or a case. And I'll shoot something back saying, hey, you've basically written a blog. So let's just polish it up and use it on you know, our blog. 
that recently happened with Chad Horton, and he did one on the NLRB GC, who had just issued a memo talking about her priorities, which basically are to overturn everything that happened under the Trump war. So, um, you know, he made some predictions about where things were going to go. And, and, you know, we just basically gave it a little lick and polish. And there it was. It was a blog post. And then the last way that I will get other people involved is sometimes I'll see a really interesting blog idea and I'll just shoot it out to our associates. And I say, hey, who has the time and interest in doing a blog post? And, you know, they'll write it up. I'll help them edit it and then put it up there, which I think is great because it's good exposure for junior attorneys, right? To both to have this experience of writing in the style, but also to have their name out there on something that can be accessed internationally, really. Yeah, no, that's actually something that's been a recurring theme I've heard in talking to firms, firms that have multiple authors is that offering associates opportunities to blog has proved to be really beneficial to the blog and to the associates mm-hmm. in a lot of ways, not just that external exposure, but exposure within the firm. And maybe it's a larger firm, maybe not so much an issue at your firm, but at larger mm-hmm. firms, it gets them seen within the firm yes. as well, yes. which has been really beneficial. Yeah. And I came from a couple of larger firms, so I certainly understand the need to raise your personal profile within a big firm. And you're right, you know, at a firm with 18 people, it's a little hard for us not to know what else is going on with our colleagues, but uh, yeah, yeah, it is a good thing. Yeah. So, I mean, what about you mm-hmm. directly? Uh, you said you write seventy five percent of it. Mm-hmm. You're you're the editor of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you also have a, a all this other writing you're doing and a law practice that you're yeah. doing. How do you make that all work? The fact that I have the support from my partners in in focusing time and attention on this type of writing is you know obviously a huge part of it, and and I think that's really wonderful that our firm recognizes the value in this type of work, um, in this type of of writing that isn't just billable hours, right? And so it's it's been great having that support and supporting something that I'm interested in doing. Now, in terms of the blog itself, there are different ways that I, I approach the blog. We have, as I mentioned, the breaking news alerts that we do. So we just slap those up as blog posts in addition to putting it through our distribution list yeah, um, yeah. just to give it more more exposure. I mean, sure. have more people access it and, and spread the word because yeah. those do we hope, tend to be interesting and informative, although a little bit formal. And, you know, what we try and do with all the blogs, what I try and do and make sure that my colleagues do when they write is it's got to be useful, right? It's got to have information in there that isn't just repeating what the agency is saying or what the court is saying, because, you know, somebody could just sit down and read the opinion or the, you know, new agency guidance themselves. It's got to have something in it that's going to explain what does this mean? How can, what is the takeaway? So that's what we do with our e-alerts. And then I take that same approach with the more informal blog posts that I create, you know, where I'm looking for something fun, crazy, Weird fact patterns, strange situations, you know, extraordinary employee misconduct is sort of a sporadic theme that I use. People do crazy things. I mean, they just do completely insane things. And those are really fun to take those facts and spin them and make snarky comments about them, but have a lesson somewhere in that blog, it's got to have some substance to it. You know, that's my philosophy, because if it's just fluff, well, that's fun to read, but it's not going to be memorable or useful. And so it's like having a junk food diet, right? It's just, it's not healthy, not going to be productive. And I tried to take that particular approach with the recent blog that I did on the employee wanted to bring his dog to work, right? So it it had a little 
weird situations, some fun facts in there that I could play off of. I could bring in the fact that I have a dog and I love my dog and he's an adorable dog and he is definitely not any kind of, you know, emotional support or service dog. But I was able to use that very fun case and talk about the difference between service animals and comfort animals or companion animals, emotional support animals, because those are all very different, right? The service animals versus these others. And um, talk about fake certifications, which employers might be seeing, but not recognizing that they're actually isn't a real certification process for a service animal. Mm -hmm. And the fact that an employer can deny having a dog come to work, even if it's a service dog, even if it's a reasonable accommodation, if there are other factors that come into play that make it an undue hardship. So it was information that I could share that I thought was useful, but wrapped up in this, you know, kind of fun package. Yeah. Well, I, in, in the most recent post you have up there on- Oh, uh, Yeah. <laughs> Slimy doctors, uh, titled "I'm tired of doctors who just want who just say whatever the employee wants," and, and you refer in there to slimy yeah. doctors and some other uh, colorful language. Yes, oh, uh, I, I do. I'm married to a doctor, so yeah. Uh oh. Okay. Um, Still, he's not he's not a slimy one. I will say. Um, okay, good. But good. yeah, that that came out of the fact that there was one day where there were literally three different calls from clients involving bogus medical exemptions. And it was just like, oh my gosh, how can this even be? I mean, this is just yeah. ridiculous and annoying and offensive. And I was angry. So I sat right. down. And an exemption from vaccination requirement. Right, one right, of them. right, right, right. That yeah. was, yeah, that was the issue was, you yeah. know, right now with um, so many employers who are thinking about these vaccine mandates um, yeah. and, and yeah. the way that the law has developed where I would say, you know, even three months ago, we were questioning whether or not these vaccine mandates were really something that could be imposed and enforced. And as things have yeah. changed over the past three months with the approval by the um, FDA, the regular approval of one of the vaccines, and the I think that was the Pfizer one, and Moderna has applied for their regular approval as well, you know, that has changed the landscape. And the DOJ, the yeah. Department of Justice, issued a memorandum saying that we don't think the EUA status will prevent an employer from mandating the vaccine. We have the EEOC issue showing guidance earlier on saying that, you know, under the anti-discrimination laws that employer mandates are acceptable. So there was a lot that happened. And then, of course, that um, Houston Methodist case where the court rejected the arguments by the employees who were angry about the mandate down in Texas, um, you know, so a lot of developments very quickly that then allowed employers to say, you know what, we're, we're comfortable with going forward with the mandate. But then, of course, employees who are facing the mandate are saying, well, I don't want to get the vaccine. And yeah. so I'm going to, you know, some people, of course, have legitimate medical reasons that they can't get the vaccine, but some are just making this stuff up and they get yeah. these doctors to sign off on, you know, these fake reasons for not getting a vaccine. And, and that's what was making me so angry. So yeah, yeah, I turned that experience into a blog post. It was really easy to write. Yeah. <laughs> I, was yeah. I bet. I, I mean, really it's fast. to me, it's really interesting because I, I, I do talk to a lot of lawyers in the course mm -hmm. of this podcast, but also just in conversations who feel the desire to be very sort of stilted or middle of the road in their writing, mm -hmm. even on a blog, mm -hmm. you know, even though it's not legal writing, but they're, they're very they're very reluctant to, to let too much of their personality show through. And I think, you know, you're a, a great example of how you can really let your personality shine yeah. through and yet still 
make a point, as you say, you still have a lesson to teach and yes. a lesson to share. And I think personally, I, I, I mean, I think that's what makes a, a, a great blog is to be able to do that, be able to combine that, the color with, with the story, with the point and the lesson and, and, and convey some useful information there. Right. But yeah. Did you ever have to kind of think about that, whether that's oh, the way the to time. do it or not? Oh, well, um, in terms of uh, finding the voice that, you know, that's interesting. I would say that early on, I was much more formal because it just, yeah. you know, it, you sort of learn as you do and yeah. you see what other people are doing. And I realized that I enjoy reading blogs that have a little personality yeah. um, versus ones that don't. Right. And so it either way, I think there needs to be a lesson, but you can either do it in a really boring way. <laughs> or you can do it in a much more interesting way, um, which is one of the things that I sort of developed over time. Like, wow, okay, you know, this can be a lot of fun and you can insert your personality. You can make comments. You can talk about your family. I'm, you know, I bring up my crazy teenagers. They're no longer teenagers, but you know, that that's an easy point to jump off of because yeah. so many people can relate to that. And yeah. that just makes it a lot more engaging when you put that into a blog. And, you know, I think that's important with, even with titles in the intro, right? It's gotta have yeah. something that seizes the reader's interest. That's That the reader will say, you know what? I am going to spend the next five minutes of my life reading this blog. You know, how do we get them there, right? Because if you say, for example, you know, OSHA issued its revised workplace guidance and every law firm in the world wrote about that. And a lot of the titles were OSHA revises COVID-19 guidance. Like, okay, that's nice. And my title was, again, what employers need to know about <laughs> OSHA's revised workplace guidance, right? And that I think conveys, hey, employers, I've got information here that you need to know. I'm not just going to tell you yeah. exactly what the OSHA said, because you can read that yourself, like I said earlier, but I'm going to give you some additional practical information. How does this impact you, right? And and do it in a way that is not quite so stilted. <laughs> so Yeah. So, so when you get others in your firm mm -hmm. to contribute to the blog or when others in the firm volunteer to contribute to the blog, do you try and convey Absolutely. that to them? Do you try and give them a little bit of a lesson in Absolutely. how to write for a blog? Um, I will say my partners, you know, they're all sophisticated. They, most of them know how to do this. They, they get it. It's the associates, particularly the first couple of times they do this, they're a little more tentative, right? Because they're really used to writing yeah. a certain way and, and they feel like that's right. the way they always have to write. And so what I try to encourage is say, right. you know, look, be, have fun with it. Be informal. Be snarky, for God's sake. I mean, just take a take an approach that's going to be more entertaining because this is supposed to be engaging. It, we can we all have the formal stuff that we have to write anyway, but this is an opportunity to really have yeah. fun. Yeah. From uh, rummaging around your archives, it looks like the blog started in oh 2012. Gosh around, I, I, sometimes it's hard to tell because sometimes things get backdated with blogs. But I think it was probably about 2012 and it looks like you were in it pretty much from the, be the beginning. Were you were you one of the ones who kind of came no. up with the idea of starting it? And, no, and actually it, going, it was one of our associates who was much more um, savvy with this whole social media stuff. I have to say I'm a little bit of a dinosaur, which is another reason why, you know, everyone <laughs>, laughs that I'm an influencer because, you know, what do I know? Um, but it was actually one of our associates who said, you know, we need to get involved in this. And I said, this sounds like a great idea. Yeah. Sure. And then it became a question yeah. of who has time to do it? 
right? Because if you have a blog and you don't post on it, then what good is it? So it just, it looks old, right. it looks stale, right. it's ridiculous. And so it, I took it on as my pet project to make sure that we at least had some fresh content on a relatively regular basis. So that that's how right. I got involved. Did, did you have to sell it within the firm or, or was that not an uh, issue? I will say all? that some of our more senior members didn't really see the utility of having a blog. <laughs> and they didn't yeah. fight us about it, but it was just more of a, why are we bothering to do this? What good is it? You know, what, who's yeah. reading it? And I will say initially, just a little it grump, grumpiness totally. around it. Or... <laughs> and I will say that, you know, there are definitely times where you feel like you're just shouting out into the wilderness, you know, like, I don't know who's reading this. Right. I don't know if anyone's paying attention. So it is lovely right. when you get right. the, the statistics back or the validation or somebody responds to you. I mean, there was a really fun blog that I did about, um, uh, it was a workers' compensation blog, which is not what I normally write about, but it involved a French businessman who died while having sex on a business trip. <laughs> and, and it was covered by workers' comp in France. And so it was just such a weird article. And I took it and I turned it into a, okay, well, this is, you know, this is what happens in France. And this is what they did in Australia, but let's talk about what they would do in the U.S. And, you know, the fact that different workers' comp laws vary from state to state. And I consulted with a workers' comp attorney friend and what would happen here in Maryland. And it was a really fun blog to write. And that one got a lot of attention. I had um, people emailing me from Canada and I think somewhere in Asia about how they enjoyed this blog, which was like, wow, I have an international audience. That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> so the verdict, is it covered in Maryland? Uh, Probably, which is odd, right? <laughs> it does seem like it would be a frolic, but uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, and you talk about it's great to get great to get feedback and great to get response. And you also talked about the fact that you do all this writing as a way to help promote the the firm, not just in Maryland, but on a national stage. So, what has been the impact in that regard? I mean, have you been able to get? Uh, any sense of whether the blog has led to raising awareness about the firm or actually bringing in well, clients to the firm? Well, it certainly has raised awareness. And yes, we have had some clients come in through, um, they'll say, you know, I read your blog or I was Googling and your blog came up. And, and so we have gotten some clients that way. Um, certainly, we've gotten a lot of attention from reporters who are looking for you know, commentators, yeah. which is always nice because then that establishes you as the expert in whatever area it is that they're writing their um, article on. And so, uh, and I don't hog all of that. So <laughs> if, if somebody reaches out because they need a comment on, you know, X, Y, or Z, I will throw it out to my partners as well. So I'm sharing the love here in terms of the exposure. But yeah, it's, I think it's done a tremendous amount um, yeah. in terms of, of just spreading the name of Shaw Rosenthal out there. So, uh... Uh, have, have any of those uh, lawyers who originally wondered why I do a blogger, are they still there? And no, are they I still think everyone's on or? board now. They may not be blogging, but they at least are on yeah. board with why the blog is a, a very useful tool in our marketing efforts. Yeah. I, I usually in these interviews like to ask our guests whether they have any advice for uh, others who are thinking of starting a blog or, or improving their blog. I, I just type down your words, be snarky. And I'm gonna frame oh, no, that, is that but... going to be my thing? <laughs> <laughs> Ong says, be snarky. Oh, no. Um, you know. <laughs> 
Long that's says a, that's be snarky. Way. That's the uh, new headline. Oh, God. Um, yeah, no. I mean, I think there are several rules that I think are important mm. for blogs, or at least the way that I approach blogs. Uh, like I said earlier, it's got to be useful. It's got to have something that an employer can take away from the blog that they can apply in their workplace, right? So that is the key point for me. But I also think it's got to be timely. So right now I'm seeing some law firms write articles and blogs on the EEOC guidance that was issued months ago. And hello, there have been lots of articles at this point. So to do it months later, I don't think is helpful. And in fact, if I know something's coming, I'll get it ready ahead of time. Like if I know that the new regulations are coming, I will write the whole blog ahead of time to the extent I can, right? Because you talk about history and you talk about where it's coming from. And then I plug in as soon as it drops, I plug in what's new. And then it's ready to go. So, you know, be timely. I want to be first out of the block because the first person is going to get the most attention, right? And then I will say that I make my blog somewhat self-serving. So you'll see, I keep referring back to older blogs. As I said in this blog, or we covered this in this blog, because I want to bring the reader down the rabbit hole of all the stuff we're doing, right? So I think that's helpful in, in just terms of showing what we can offer to employers out there, companies out there. Yeah, I'm not sure that's even just self-serving because really what, I mean, again, what you do when you're writing a blog is you you do start to build up an archive of knowledge and that's not just serving the firm, that's serving the reader it and it's it's valuable to the reader. So I, I, I wouldn't you know downgrade that as, as just self-serving. I think it's important to the reader to know mm-hmm. that that reference yeah, material, absolutely. so to speak, and, is you know, there. Everyone wins. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and then right. make the title and the intro interesting. Because, you know, if, if you say 11th Circuit decides Paramore preference, that's the one that I was just thinking of, you know, okay, well, that's nice. What is the 11th Circuit? Who cares other than people who are in the 11th Circuit? If I turn it into Paramore preferences are not right. prohibited by Title VII, that's different. That's more general. And, it, and it's an appropriate thing to say because, you know, all the courts, not just the 11th Circuit, but all the courts that have looked at this have said Paramore preferences aren't covered by Title VII. So, you know, there are ways to approach the title that make it much more engaging and show that this is going to be information that is useful to the employer. So, yeah, I guess those are my rules. <laughs> Yeah. Beyond well, be snarky. Good rule. Good rule. Beyond be snarky. Yeah. Yes. No, those are all good rules. What else, I, I've been throwing lots of questions your way and I, I'd like to give you an opportunity. Is there anything else that you'd like to say about your blog or your practice or, or anything else that we haven't talked about? Oh my gosh. Um, wow. I feel like I've just downloaded all kinds of you know information <laughs> about the blog to you. I don't know that there's really much more that I could share. There doesn't share. have to be. Okay. No, that's, that's okay. That's, nope. That doesn't have to be. I just uh, like to give you that opportunity. Oh, thank but, you. I appreciate it. Yeah. Well, uh, it's been a real pleasure to speak with you and uh, to hear about your blog and uh, thanks for taking the time to do it. Oh, it's been my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on, Mom. Thank you. Once again, uh, we have been speaking with Fiona Ong and thanks to everybody for joining us today and listening. Once again, this was episode 48 of This Week in Legal Blogging. If you have not done so yet, please peruse our full library of shows wherever you get your podcasts. And uh, while you're there, drop us a quick rating or review. We appreciate it. And last but not least, head over to lexblog.com slash twill for this week of the blogging for outlines of each and every show we've done so far. On behalf of myself and all the folks at Lexblog, thanks so much for listening. <laughs>